0: On Monday, April 25th, the Supreme Court will hear the case Kennedy v. Bremerton School District. It's a case that concerns a public high school football coach in Washington State who argues that he has the right to pray on the 50-yard line of the field after each game and that his high school players should be allowed to join in. Hi, I'm Anna Knudsen.
1: I'm Ethan Anthony.
0: And you're listening to The Interactions Podcast, a podcast about law and religion, and how they interact in the world around us.
1: Our listeners might know that state-sponsored prayer in schools was outlawed in the 60s by the decision in Angle v. Vitale, but Coach Kennedy claims that his taking the knee at a football game is not state-sponsored, but rather represents a brief and quiet prayer, one that is private and therefore protected under the First Amendment.
0: But his position as a football coach for a public school as well as his position on the 50-yard line in view of students and the stands, means that his prayer, brief, quiet, or otherwise, could actually be government speech in violation of the Establishment Clause, better known as the separation between church and state.
1: In today's episode, we discuss Kennedy B. Bremerton with Ira Chip Hooke, nationally recognized scholar in constitutional law, professor of law emeritus at George Washington University, and co-author of Secular Government, Religious People.
0: And Holly Holman, leading expert on religious liberty and general counsel at Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty. She is also co-host of the Respecting Religion podcast and adjunct faculty at Georgetown University.
1: The court needs to decide. Is Coach Kennedy's prayer public or private speech?
0: Does it violate the Establishment Clause?
1: Are teachers allowed to pray with students in public schools?
0: And how did we get here? This is is Interactions. Chip and Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I am really looking forward to speaking to both of you about the case. Um, I want to begin our discussion with Kennedy's argument, uh, the way that he's defending himself. And so I'm going to read a short quote from the response that he filed on April 15th. Um, Coach Kennedy's brief personal prayers after Remington High School football games were private expression that enjoyed double protection under the free speech and free exercise clauses, not government speech. There is a lot to unpack there, but can we start with the fact that he's claiming that his prayer is protected under the First Amendment? How is he making this argument? What do we make of this? Does this
2: argument hold up? Holly, would you like to start?
3: why don't you go ahead? Why don't you?
2: All right. Uh, Here's, I would like to, I'm going to comment on that framing, that framing of the issue. Okay. I think it's convenient for Coach Kennedy to say, this is about my rights. I have speech rights. I have religious freedom rights. And this other stuff, this establishment clause stuff only comes in somewhere at the back end of the story. And it's weak and unpersuasive because I'm speaking for myself and not for the school district. And I think that way of framing the conversation is wrong. And let me explain why. If, if, if Kennedy were in the stands, he were out on the street near the stadium, of course he would have the right to pray as much as he wanted before the game, during the game, at halftime, after the game, every minute of the game. He'd be in the, If he were in the stands as a fan, as an uncle or dad of one of the players, then he's part of the general public. And of course, he has free speech rights and religious exercise rights to pray in whatever way he likes. And if people around him don't like it, well, OK, that happens all the time in a football stadium. People have there's cheers and booze and people like it and they don't like it. So what? That's just the noise in a football game. Everything changes when he takes the job as the coach and he's acting as the coach and he's on the field and it's during the time. When the players show up for the game until they leave after the game, he's on duty as a public employee. And so all the rights I was just talking about all have to be understood now in the context of his employment as a coach. So the, the whole case is not about does he have rights to pray? The question is, the to what extent can the school board and the school limit his prayer by time and place and situation, because he's a public employee. That's what the case is about. And that's what we, we should be talking about.
3: It's a great starting point, Chip, because it just gets you to the seriousness of the case. You know, it's like, I've, I've got, isn't this America? I've got free speech rights. And, and, and it just, it totally misses the boat that this is an employment case that this is, a, he he had a position, not just an employment case, public employment, working for the government from a government institution. And he has a conflict with his employer about what his duties are, and how to how to execute them. And when he's confronted about that, and uh, you know told, told to correct it about that, he eventually, you know, doesn't comply. And his contract is not renewed after being put on administrative leave. And so it's, it's, it's really uh, um, unfortunate when people think this is about some attack on him as opposed to his failure to comply with his job duties um, and respect you know, the position that he was in. That has to do more with the rights of the students than his own rights.
0: Right. Holly, in your brief, actually, um, you touched on the fact that his prayer is being construed as brief, um, brief and quiet, and like that this would not have anything to do. Or I guess the question is, does that have anything to do with whether it would be protected as free speech, free exercise of religion in a public school setting? Yeah. Um
3: If it's if it's private speech the way he claims, if it's private because he says it's private, I mean, we I think we say in our brief, you know, what would stop him from having a loud and long prayer? If If it's truly if he truly had private free speech rights, the government has no interest in stopping him from from praying his religious expression. It's only because he is in this public governmental setting that that this you know, that this is a concern for the state. So, you know, it's uh, a way to get people to think, oh, this is no big deal. He's not really doing anything disruptive to try to get sympathy to his side and his position to say it's brief and quiet. But the, the fact is, it's not personal and private. It is on duty and official when he has responsibilities, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, to maintain religious neutrality on behalf of the school.
2: You know, I, I, I agree with everything Holly just said, but I want to add a word. The you know the the coach's brief wants to really focus on this final game where he says a prayer and then you know he gets put on leave because he's defied some school school district order, but you know as, as Justice Souter once wrote in a different religion clause case, the world is not invented new every day. There's a history that comes before that last game, that last prayer where he goes back to the fifty yard line and then he's put on leave. This coach has a history of motivational speeches to the team with which religious references are praying with crowds of players around him, opposing team players, his own team players so that everything about the background leading up to this suggests someone who was not interested in brief and private prayer suggests someone who's interested in quite public prayer and involving anyone who wants to be involved with him, including members of his team.
0: No, that's great. Um, Could I read actually a short excerpt from your brief, Holly, on this and get both yours and Chip's opinion on it? Um, You write that the critical issue in this case is whether the petitioner's on-field prayers are government speech restricted by the Establishment Clause or private speech protected by the Free Speech and Free Exercise Clauses. This distinction is deeply rooted in precedent and constitutional text, and few litigants openly reject it. Instead, litigants attempt to evade the distinction by manipulating the line between private speech and governmental speech, which I think is exactly right. Um, So in your view, what legal manipulations are happening to construe this speech as private speech? And I think we're already kind of touching on this. Um, What kind of arguments and rhetorical strategies are being made here to prove that his prayer is private?
3: Yeah, as as you know chip started us off with that big distinction about what he could do on his own time and how we all how we have religious freedom and great religious diversity um in this country and we all know that it's different and a the government's position is different and and so that's you know so I, I guess he's making every effort he can to get out of that um that responsibility by saying it's brief and it's quiet you know the fact that it's after the game the fact that someone else could be doing something that's not so closely related to the job you know calling a restaurant or talking to a friend in the stands you know those are the kinds of analogies that he wants to make to say that you know not everything he does is is government it's government action but in fact this is something very specific in particular and as chip said has been going had been going on a long time had been addressed had been corrected in a way that he understood and took you know took some responsibility for no longer leading and inviting people to the, to the, um, to the prayer. Um, so he's going to have a hard time, I think, getting, getting out of, you know, that, that recognition that he's in that, that role, or at least the court's going to have a hard time distinguishing why he can do that here. And a teacher could not also feel called to do that in the classroom. So I think that's, uh, I think recently in some press, Uh, reports, I've noted that maybe when people asked him, you know, is God requiring this of you? And he actually stepped back and said, he couldn't say that God required him to to pray on the 50-yard line, but he had made that commitment. He's holding himself to that commitment. And that kind of Christian perspective of deciding you're going to do something because you feel called, I mean, there's no limitation to that. So clearly a teacher could feel just as called to give a long, louder prayer in the classroom. And she can't do that. He or she can't do that just by saying that it's private and personal.
2: I think it's quite revealing. When you look at other cases, the Supreme Court has decided about religious speech in schools, that they have not involved school employees, right? They've involved the school itself sponsoring the prayer, like Engel and Vitali, it's the region's prayer, the state has prescribed it, school authorities decide to say it, uh, or Abington against Shemp, where the the students read the prayer, but they went to the office and they read it over the loudspeaker. So that's clearly official sponsorship. And the other cases involve students or people uh, uh, meeting at clubs that happen to meet inside the school, after school, in the evening, so that the The religious speech is within the walls of the school, but it's by people who are not agents of the school. This is the first time we see a case involving someone who's a teacher or coach or a staff member, that is who's an agent of the school. And and so that's what what the justices are gonna have to wrestle with here, and I hope they do wrestle with the fact that that is unique in a way that Coach Kennedy's brief really does not acknowledge.
3: It's a really important line, these lines of cases that say that the Establishment Clause does not prevent religious action on school grounds in contexts that do not indicate any school sponsorship. You know, when the, when the school, a building is open after school and you have different civic groups that might use the buildings, there's no, there's no way to, to see that as the school, the school itself. The government itself endorsing those groups, but that's quite different from a a teacher on the job, doing their job in the midst of their job, than leading in religious expression, where it's fair to say that this is the government itself, you know, leading in religious exercises and advancing religion we point out that line really to knock down this idea that there's some kind of hostility toward religion going on instead you have very important fair lines that ensure that everyone has religious liberty that we have equal rights as citizens and we have we have our free speech and our our um free exercise rights um but that the government itself in order to protect that cannot advance religion
1: uh, can we talk about the pre- the precedents set by angle v vitali and how they relate to this case. How has Kennedy been able to construe his case as being different enough from Engel v. Vitale to thus deserve a hearing? I guess what I'm trying to ask is why wasn't his case dismissed immediately? Part of me wants to say, based on Engel v. Vitale, this case is a no brainer, and that doesn't make sense for the Supreme Court to have agreed to hear it. So what's different here? Is it a matter of determining the line of state sponsorship? A matter of the distinction between public and private? What's going on?
2: Well, there are, I think there are several things going on. I think, first of all, it's remarkable that in Coach Kennedy's open, opening brief in the Supreme Court, he never mentions Engel versus Vitality. It's like it disappears. He wants to act like there's that this prohibition on school-sponsored prayer is just somebody else's problem and doesn't speak to him and his situation at all. That's the way they're arguing it. And I think they're arguing it that way because... Have some reason to believe that five or more justices might think Engel versus Vitale is wrong or should be limited in some considerable way, and that somehow he can carve a a difference, a line between officially school sponsored prayer like Engel versus Vitale and a teacher or coach acting on his or her own. The school is not, obviously, the school is not sponsoring. Coach Kennedy, they're trying to quiet him down or to move him to a place where he's away from the students. So they are not sponsoring it. And he's using that as an attempt to say, well, okay, then it's not school sponsored. It's only sponsored by me. So if it's only sponsored by me and I have rights, then there's no reason why I can't do what I want. And they have no authority to quiet me down. Now, you know, in a court populated by the justices, from 1962, they wouldn't have taken this case because they would have said the Ninth Circuit got it right. Of course, the school district could tell him to take this prayer out away from the students. Do it on his own someplace where, where he's not calling attention to himself and encouraging student participation. But obviously, there is some We know there's receptivity to this case on the Supreme Court because two years earlier, there was a cert petition and it was turned down and four justices wrote an opinion saying, well, not now, but maybe later, like we really need to clarify what the rights of coaches and teachers are. There's an interest in the court in in doing something about this that is likely to put some boundaries or limits on Engel versus Vitale. That's what we're talking about. Can
0: I follow up on that briefly before I get Holly's response? Because you did draw a distinction between the court in 1962 and the court. Now, I think a lot of the American public are looking at this and saying, is this case has it been accepted because of the conservative majority on the Supreme Court? Could that have something something to do with the fact that this case is being heard? Um, If you could say more about that, I'd be I'd be very interested to know.
3: Um, Absolutely. It has something to do. I would I would say to, to Sure. The court in 1995 wouldn't have taken it and the court in 2000 wouldn't take it. You know, there are school prayer cases, uh, graduation prayer, prayer football games, always tough cases because you do have to draw these lines between protecting individual student speech and religious exercise and not being hostile to religion. And at the same time, preventing the government from advancing religion, using the machinery of the state, the the, uh, compulsory, school attendance rules, or even the um, the you know compulsion that students have, of course, to be at their own graduation or to be at their football games. But you take all that together and the, the court has held that the schools cannot advance religion and they've drawn these, drawn these lines. Um, but now you have a court that's very interested in, in religion cases. You have justices that in their own time, uh, well, particularly Justice Alito has given speeches showing a, a general sense That something's wrong, and that religious people aren't being treated fairly. So he's he's leading that perception. Many of the justices uh, criticize establishment clause standards, and that's kind of common. This is a very it's a complex field, and so and Chip could talk about this much better than I could. You know, there are always these complexities about the tests and the rules for for interpreting um, the establishment clause. But what I've noticed in um, many of the recent justices is this idea that the law is so um confusing and I- inconsistent or or kind of messy in a way that really denies a lot of the importance of what the establishment clause does that the establishment clause is this unique part of the American system that protects religious liberty by keeping government out of essential religious matters and you know i serve an organization that comes from a religious perspective and that Appreciates that and respects that and thinks that's part of our, um, you know, religious diversity and freedom that we have. it has been very powerful and good in America, but instead, I think you have these these justices that say it's not right and it, and it feels hostile to individual, you know, religious speech. So, so having a so focusing on Coach Kennedy as opposed to the whole system kind of lets them, you know. Let's them consider this and, and look for lines to separate it from, from Engel and Abingdon and even Levy Wiseman and Santa Fe V. Joe, these other cases that have really drawn these um these lines that protect religious liberty in very specific ways in the public school and that have not been controversial. And and you'll see, you can see in, in the brief that we submitted that we talk about these guidelines through decades that recognize. That in the public schools, there must be limits on te- what teachers, coaches, administrators do in order to provide uh, the right setting and religious freedom for students.
2: I'd like to follow up on that, if I may. First, to talk about the court, or at least the conservative members of the court and, the, and their agenda. And then I want to say more about the Establishment Clause and its central principles and how they fit what we're talking about. So, for the last 10 years or more. Yes, the court has been very interested in cases about religion. And free exercise claims always win. And establishment clause claims designed to limit what the government can do to advance or promote religion, they always lose. Okay. Or to put it differently, the pro religion, it's not that religious freedom always wins. With this court, religion always wins. Right. So, so it's it's if the government wants to promote religion, okay. If individuals want religious freedom, good, we want to make sure they get it. It's very one-sided, and it has been that way for 10 to 15 years. <clears throat> so there's something going on here and, and it's tilting very heavily in a particular direction. Second, and I think this is about the establishment clause in general, but it's about the school prayer cases in particular. And I think this gets lost over and over again. There's two kinds of concerns. non-establishment concerns that are protected by the school prayer cases. One, and the one that gets talked about a lot, is coercion. Oh, the students are gonna feel, the players are gonna feel pressure to join in. They won't want to object. They don't want to make trouble. They don't want to lose playing time. They don't want to displease the coach. And that is part of the story, okay? That there's a possibility for coercion of players to to participate or at least not object so as to protect their interests as players. So the anti-coercion interest is real. And of course then people argue, oh, these players were coerced. They weren't. Nobody said anything to the coach. Nobody was forced to join in. They opted in. They didn't have to opt out There's all of this conversation about is there coercion or not. And, and that's an important conversation, but it misses something else that's central which is that there is a separationist principle here about keeping religion and government apart about not putting religious authority and political authority in the same hands, putting religious and political authority in the same hands is very dangerous. Uh, Religious voices should be there to sometimes dissent from what the government does, call attention to it, be be a a critic of the government. Not always, they may agree. But if if religion and government are joined, that critical function of religion is destroyed. And if you want to see a perfect example in today's world, go pay attention to what the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church is or is not saying about Vladimir Putin and the invasion of Ukraine, right? The church, which is his controlled by the state in Russia. It's completely behind the the government and its invasion of Ukraine. There you see the totalitarian hazards of putting governmental authority and religious authority in the same hands. So Engel versus Vitaly, which is the first major school prayer case in the Supreme Court, the opinion explicitly says coercion, a showing of coercion is not necessary to show there's been a violation of the Establishment Clause. The government should not be in the, posi- in the position of writing prayers, promoting prayers, encouraging people to stay prayer- say prayers. It should stay out of that. The public school should stay out of that, not discourage, not encourage, leave it to families, leave it to religious communities. That's where free exercise and religious functioning should go on. And in this conversation about Engel and school prayer and Coach Kennedy, this critical function of the establishment clause in separating religious and political authority independent of the coercive problem. I think it's been lost in the conversation. I, I and I'm sort of in distress over the extent to which it's been lost. So I'm hoping this podcast will help put it back into the conversation more energetically.
0: Well, I think I have a follow-up question on that. Um, based on like this, well, this very interesting way that you put it, you know, like the the same hands argument and the relation to compulsion. I was interested in how this might relate to a phrase that comes up a lot in coach Kennedy's response, which felt very polemic to me, um, where he writes that this is a free country. All Kennedy wanted to continue and all that he was disciplined for was his own brief religious exercise with students free to join or not. This is a free country. Um, this seems to be exactly what you're saying. This appeal to this, it's a free country. My first thought is, yes, but what about the students who feel compelled to pray, right? What about those students who do feel compelled? Is it a? How does this appeal interact with what you're saying about the religion and w- about things going hand in hand, I suppose?
3: I'll, I'll jump in here. I don't think it would be as free a country if the government had control of religious matters. And Coach Kennedy's missing that. You know, he's just he's denying the role of the the government to stay out of religious matters so that Coach Kennedy and every other teacher in that school and teachers across the country, uh, you know, and and all the students can have the freedom. Is it is we keep, as, as Chip was saying, keeping out of the hands of government these religious decisions this religious authority to lead and exercises and, and, you know, particularly in the public schools to define that for these students, taking it away from their individual ability and rights to do that and that of their families. So I think he's missing it. He's, you know, ignoring and missing a key part of what protects that, um, religious freedom in our country. And, you know, it's, it's really maddening for him to, to, take this position as if he's really suffering. I mean, I have, uh, I grew up in in Baptist churches. I serve an organization that comes out of that tradition. And we were talking in the office and like never in my life been in a Baptist church that was not chock full of public servants, of public school teachers, principals, administrators, who are called to public service, who want to be good role models, who appreciate serving in the government. And they see that very differently From how they practice a religion individually. And they are called to do that. They understand that that is important to the freedom of of all of their their students.
2: You know, I wanna add a word here about the importance of recognizing the authority of the school, of the school itself, and of the school district over its teachers and coaches. And this includes matters of uh, religious communication, excuse me, but it transcends them too. the the school has authority over curriculum, just a simple case, right? So it's a free country, but you're not free to teach history if you're the science teacher or science if you're the history teacher. You you can be told, this is what you're teaching. This is the subject. These are the books you're going to use. Maybe you can be told, don't engage in sex education or don't talk about critical race theory. We know that on on that side of the political spectrum that's supporting Coach Kennedy, they're all for controlling what teachers and coaches say about a lot of other things. And I, I think some of those, some of that stuff is quite misguided in terms of trying to intimidate teachers and chase them away from important subjects. But if there's authority over school teachers, and surely there is, then it extends to on the job speech about many different subjects, religion included. So, you know, imagine Coach Coach Kennedy at the end of the game, just as the game ended, he wanted to walk to the 50 yard line and shake hands with the opposing coach, but he wanted to put on a red hat that said M-A-G-A, make America great again. And he'd say, Well, it's a free country. This is my this is my political persuasion. But the school district might say, Listen, we do not want you identifying as a Republican or a Democrat or as a Trump guy or a Biden guy. And you're the football coach. And when you do that, some of your players are going to like it and some of them are going to dislike it. Part of a coach's job is to promote team unity. And anytime a coach does something that is disunifying the way this prayer has been in that community, he's undermining part of his function. So um, that, that addresses religious speech, but it goes beyond religious speech in terms of legitimate concerns that the, the school district has.
0: I just want to say that was like a very clear metaphor. I mean, it makes very clear to me at least that there are special exemptions being allowed for religion here and like saying that teachers should be allowed to say what they want under these clauses and like if they want it to apply, like you said, to critical race theory, but not to religion that 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 seems to me quite damning.
2: Yes. Well, you, you don't have the same people addressing the same questions at the same time. Do you? Ron DeSantis right. is not talking about Coach Kennedy. Coach Kennedy's lawyers are not talking about critical race theory and and gender identity. But you you, you can hear the disconnect uh, in high, different like parts a hypocrisy. of the argument. Yes. yes.
3: Well, and, and often you hear it talked about in protecting children, which is, you know, that's and but and yet you don't want to protect your children from. Teachers who have, who come from a variety of religious perspectives and would say have a variety of theological perspectives that would conflict with those of the students and the family. I mean that that really does not does not make sense.
1: Um, Adam Cullen writes for Balls and Strikes uh, that this case has the potential to, to dismantle a wall of separation between church and state. I want to ask: Is this an overstatement? does this case really have the potential to destroy the separation between church and state? And if so, how would that happen? What would that look like? And on what presidents could the Supreme Court make that decision?
2: Well, you know, the, the image of destroying, of course, suggests the kind of bulldozing to the entire project. That somehow, if Coach Kennedy wins, that you could tomorrow Congress could create a church of the United States and make people attend. I don't think that, okay. These things happen a step at a time, but, but to put it slightly more modestly, but to still suggest there's peril. If coach Kennedy wins, what would stop the, the next teacher or the next coach? Well, let's focus on a classroom teacher. School starts at eight 30. A lot of the students are in their seats by eight 25 and the teacher comes in at 8:28. Doesn't say eight thirty on the clock yet, and the teacher out loud prays as a prayer. <clears throat> Doesn't insist that students join, but when some students decide to join, it's a free country. They want to join, let them join. I mean, it's the same story. It's the same exact story. So, so, and maybe that whatever the court would do would say, well, once it's eight thirty. School has started, now the teacher can't do it, but at 828, the teacher can do it. Well, this is just so easy to get around uh, for for teachers or staff or coaches who want to promote religious activity in school. They're just always looking for this boundary place and being just barely outside the boundary. That's what Coach Kennedy wanted to do. Okay, private, 50-yard line immediately after the game. To him, that's private, just like 828 before an 830 start. The teacher could say it was still my time at 828 it's private uh, and so so this this could be a major inroad on the idea that schools should not be engaged in religious proselytizing or worship in some school districts like this one there would be might be a complaint about a teacher who wants to pray right before school there're going to be other school districts that are going to just smile and say well, It's like, Coach Kennedy can pray at the 50-yard line. We're not going to tell our teachers they can't pray at 828 right before school starts their personal private rights, and they might even not so subtly encourage it in school districts where this is popular, and, and a decision in this case that supports Coach Kennedy is going to really undermine the ability of organizations like Americans United for Separation of Church and State to go in and challenge those kinds of practices that are gonna push, 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 push up against the boundaries of Engel and Vitali and the prohibition of school prayer, school sponsored prayer.
3: And you know, we're talking about this specific school environment where the law has been settled for so many decades. And so you don't have to go so far as what people think about the separation of church and state metaphor and, and all the other areas of, of establishment clause, um, you know, case and uh, establishment clause cases. It's just this, this fundamental attack on the kind of religious neutrality that we expect in the public schools that serve students. 90% of students in America attend public schools. And we know that in America, there's incredible religious diversity. And we have an expectation that the schools are neutral, not hostile to religion, and you know I'm I'm from the South where there's a lot of uh, religious you know um, culture and and common to have religious clubs that would meet after school or before school and and to know that your teacher might go to your church or you know some other I mean so we have right now the expectation that that the schools are neutral not hostile to religion we've had long established rules that separate the difference that make distinction between student initiated Prayer at appropriate times versus school sponsored or facilitated and using the machinery of the school kind of kind of prayer. So really, that's the that's what's at stake here is losing that and then and not having not being able to complain or not being able to stop those teachers who would use their power, privilege, the authority that they're given by the school, by the state to subtly or not so subtly advance religion and coerce students or, you know, do their do their best to, which really undermine that really undermines this idea that all the students should be there for an education and have equal access without regard to without regard to their faith.
2: Let me add one. I'd like to add one point here. Back in 1963, the second major school case, the Abington uh, Township against Shemp, where I believe it's Justice Clark who writes the opinion, And he says, look, the school should not be promoting religious belief. That was the Lord's Prayer and Bible verses. The school should not be promoting religious worship or affiliation or faith. But the schools are free and should teach about religion. You can teach about the role of religion in world history. You can teach about various uh, religions, uh, Western religions, Eastern religions, let people be educated in the idea of diversity of religion. That's a good thing, right? That's part of becoming a citizen, is understanding something about the role of religion in the world and its history and its current arrangements, the diversity of it. So being neutral on the subject of belief or disbelief in God, it's not the same thing as being a vacuum where no one can ever mention the subject of religion. That's not, that's not the framework here. So the idea that somehow schools are hostile to religion if Coaches and teachers can't prey on the job. It's just it's just false.
0: Yeah, I'm curious how much of it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, Chip, about he's in a government position. And at that point, there are limitations that can be put on his free exercise, his free speech. I remember when I was in high school, there was a guy who would lead prayers around the flag. And of course, there were no teachers involved, right? And so there is this student-teacher distinction that he seems to want to just do away with entirely or just under the, it's a free country argument. Um,
2: One, One more thing worth mentioning. I think maybe it's mentioned in the brief you all filed. Holly, which is about the Department of Education guidelines about the role of religion in school. Since the Clinton administration, there have been guidelines and they were negotiated by people, religious people, religious organizations, secular organizations, uh, a wide variety of religions in America, all got together and said, let's make guidelines about what's appropriate to, 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 uh, for religious uh, uh, communication in schools. And so there's these very clean lines drawn between what the school can promote, what the school can teach about, what students can do, student clubs gathering around the flagpole. And if you look and those guidelines were issued in the Clinton administration and then they've been amended ever so slightly, but essentially repeated. Right. Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden, they're still there. They're there for 25 years. And if you look at them you will not see any invitation to teachers or coaches or staff to be praying in the proximity of their students or their players. It's assumed that teachers and coaches and staff speak for the school so that the limits on what the school can say of course, are imposed on the teachers and the coaches and staff, too. Who else can speak for the school besides the teachers and the coaches and staff? The school building doesn't speak, right? It's the personnel there who speak. So for 25 years, it's been understood that the students are not speaking for the school. They're going to do what they want. The school speaks for the school through its agents. And suddenly, Coach Kennedy wants to kind of bust that up. And it looks like he's got some... Supreme Court justices who are receptive, and, you know, maybe they're less receptive than we think. And maybe when the argument gets pressed strenuously on both sides, maybe some of them will think twice about the sort of damage they're going to do to the idea that schools should be religiously neutral. We'll see.
3: He has to argue that he's somehow not acting in his official capacity, and so how the court would draw that line, when is it that the teacher is not in their official capacity and not serving the school, I think it's gonna be a, a difficult thing for the, the court to deal with. And, and that's right, Those that's what the guidelines emphasize that, um, that teachers and school administrators, when acting in those their official capacities are representatives of the state. And in those capacities are prohibited from encouraging or soliciting student religious or anti-religious activity. That's a good thing.
0: I did wanna get your sense on this. Um, To me, it just seems like this case has almost become a religious performance itself. Um, I don't know if you agree, but in a way that just reeks of Christian nationalism, at least to me, um, especially given the fact that Kennedy is backed by the First Liberty Institute, which is a legal religious right organization, and also news reports that people have been flocking to the games to join in with Kennedy's prayer, making it even more public. Um, and so I kind of wanted to ask you guys about this case itself as being a kind of religious performance or the prayer as being a religious political statement, and what that does to his claim that his prayers are brief, quiet, private. How does that hold up if we start to think about this as a religious performance?
3: Well, yeah. Um... Christian nationalism is a huge problem in our country. I've got a lot of, you can go to BJC if you want some resources on that. It has a you know distinct meaning. It means different things to different people. We have a huge project, Christians Against Christian Nationalism, to speak up, to make a distinction between religious freedom and Christian nationalism.
0: That sounds I think amazing.
3: <laughs> I think you're correct that there's a, a Christian nationalist kind of uh, intensity, fervor that would be drawn to this case you know, mixing this idea that, that our, um, you know, that one's, one's role as a, as an American and one's role as a Christian are the same, which is totally at odds with our constitutional tradition. Um, I don't, I can't say, you know, how explicit that is for Coach Kennedy or his lawyers or whatnot, but I think it's, it's fair to be aware of that. And it's my hope that some who are sympathetic to Coach Kennedy as Christians who somehow feel that they are not, their views are not as appreciated or, you know, culturally as uh, acceptable or dominant as they have been in the future, um, would think twice, would would look more closely at what the ramifications would be of, of tearing down this idea of religious neutrality and actually letting the government giving over to the government this kind of religious authority because I think um it's not always clear. I, I don't think that all of them would would end up seeing this as being in their interest. Many would, many would. And I recognize there's some you know serious uh serious divisions in our country on on these issues. But I'm I um I I don't I I don't think that all are thinking about um how well these cases and this understanding has served our country.
2: I want to add two things. <clears throat> First, there was so much fervor that got stirred up about this by by the coach and his lawyers and his supporters. Once he was told he had to take his prayers private, he wasn't told he had to stop. He was told he had to take them private, away from the players, someplace where they would not be drawn in, uh, feel some... <laughs> to 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 participate and and that's when you know and the coach went on social media and called attention to this oh I think I've been fired for praying and suddenly there's a big crowd at the homecoming game and they're storming the field and the head coach Kennedy's an assistant coach the head coach who is his boss you know he's he there's some testimony from him that he's afraid for his life he's afraid he's going to get shot from the stands because he's on the side of the school district trying to get coach Kennedy to kind of Quiet it down and take it private. So the kind of anger, fervor, passion, animosity, oh, you're stopping us from doing our prayer is extreme and it's dangerous. And I was just what imagine if the coach who wanted to do this, whether it was Bremerton or most other communities in the United States, was a Muslim and who wanted to go to the 50-yard line and put down his prayer, his prayer rug and, and bow towards Mecca and say a prayer and thank Allah for watching over the game. I think the dynamics of what, of the community and the team and the players and the parents and the press would be very different. So this is so much about not only does someone wants to pray but he wants to pray in a particular tradition that has this kind of passionate political support in many parts of America.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, on that subject, there are countless ways that Kennedy's prayers could be accommodated. He could ne- kneel to pray in some location or while students are otherwise occupied. Why are these accommodations being refused or not taken into account? They
3: should be part of the story that hopefully the court will hear. And there's even some testimony that Kennedy agreed that, that they tried to work with him. So I, I his insistence, that, that shows that you know there's something more going on in this case, that it's the it's the attempt to change the law, you know, to really, to, to bring this case and, and use this court to move, you know, move the line on, on these, these cases. Um, I would just, I would just say that these accommodations could have happened even short of the official accommodations of, you know, you could go to the press box or somewhere else, you know, that's not so central and in front of everyone. I really think if he had, I don't think we would ever have seen this case if he had prayed privately, quiet, quietly, personally, even in a way right after the game. I don't think we would have seen this. It is the, it is the, the, the commitment to pray on the fifty-yard line while still on duty, while the stands are you know people are still full of, of people that brought this you know that brought that moved this um, case forward and that the district had to handle. So, yes, he was he was officially offered accommodations to for his for his religious need that he said, which is inconsistent with his job duties. Um, But I don't think that would have ever even come up. You know, teachers, you know, the teachers pray before prayer before lunch or pray in the teacher's lounge or do things in ways that would not, you know, be entangled with their official job duties. And I don't think we would have had this case.
0: I feel like we've already touched on this, but just in case there's anything else you would like to add, what might be the implications for schools going forward or even outside of schools? What might be other implications of this case in a world where Kennedy v. Bremerton is
2: upheld? Let me start on this one, Holly. I, I think it is possible that the case, that Kennedy will win, but on very narrow grounds and not broad grounds, okay? If he wins on broad grounds, he had a right to pray. The school didn't have sufficient reason to stop him because he wasn't demanding the players participate. OK, if, if, if he wins on the broadest grounds if this free country, rights to do this, then, then we've got the problems we were talking about before. Other teachers, other coaches, other staff are going to start bringing prayer into school at the edges of their duty on the premises, on the field, in the classroom. And
3: parents, okay. J- J- let me interrupt for one second. Just yeah. parents will not have the confidence that we have. I have two sons I put through public schools, one still in public schools. You don't have the confidence of knowing that your child is going to school and getting an equal education, equal opportunity on the sporting court or field without regard to religion. So that's a huge yeah. loss.
2: Yeah, so that would be very bad. But it's also possible that it's possible that the school district will win, okay? And we'll bracket that for a minute. It's possible. Every Most people are discounting that. Conservative justices, they took it to rule for Kennedy. It's possible that the school district will win. Maybe You want to come back to that? I'm happy to. But it's possible that the school district will lose and Kennedy will win on narrow grounds, and it would go like this. The, the Ninth Circuit rested its decision on the idea that the school had to stop him because of the Establishment Clause, because this would be an, if they let him pray, they would be endorsing his prayer and endorsing the prayer is an Establishment Clause violation. That's the way it was argued in the Ninth Circuit. They weren't doing this out of discretion or judgment. They were doing it out of an obligation to avoid an Establishment Clause violation. Now this endorsement idea is one that has increasingly been in disfavor in the Supreme Court. They haven't entirely repudiated it, but they've come close. So I could imagine an opinion that says, the Ninth Circuit rested its opinion decision on the anti-endorsement rule. We think that's not the appropriate Establishment Clause standard for the case. So we're gonna vacate the decision and remand the case for a new hearing for let the school district make all of its arguments whether they're establishment clause arguments or just employee control arguments or team disunity arguments or all the arguments available to it about why they want to keep the coach away from the players when he's praying. And and then the, the district might very well win when the case goes back. I mean, the publicity will be Coach Kennedy wins his case, but it could be if it's on narrow grounds that the school district will still win and that all the damage we're talking about will not transpire. That that is possible. and I'm not rooting for that. I think the coach should lose and the district should win. But because of the way the Ninth Circuit decided the case, this is open as an avenue for a court that might, after reading the briefs and hearing the argument, say, you know, this is not as simple as we thought it was. This is not brief and personal and private prayer. This is loud and public on the 50-yard line we don't want to give us a, a stamp of approval to that but we also for what we also don't want to just rule for the school district without saying more this is this is a potential path the path for the school district to win i've thought all along <clears throat> is for the the justices to think oh critical race theory gender identity there's all these subjects that schools are trying to control and are we really going to say they can control what teachers say about gender and race and sexual orientation but not about religion so if we want to emphasize this is a conservative this would be a conservative impulse wouldn't it the authority of schools to monitor and police their teachers and coaches and that's this case falls into that that is the conservative path to a liberal victory if you want to call it that quite ironic in, in this case in this case
3: yeah.
0: Holly, any follow-up on that?
3: No, I think that, that that is that is a possible way out. Um, yeah, it's very it's 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 un, it's just unfortunate they they took this case. Chip and I've talked about this before. You know, there was there's not a circuit split here. There's not a there's this is not a big problem everywhere. Um and I think the district, from from my reading of the record the district tried to deal with this and you know they say nice things about each other there's not there's not a lot of hate there you know um but it's very unfortunate that they couldn't get to to resolution and and understanding here so um if there's if there's some narrow way for him him to win um and goes back down you know well that would that would be good i mean what's The real concerns are the ones we've talked about, about fundamentally changing expectations for um, public schools and, you know, beyond that, government in general being neutral toward religion.
0: I wanted to leave you with a final question that I feel like we have been kind of circling around, um, which is the question of race. We've brought up critical race theory. And Holly, in your brief, you do mention that if he had been spewing racial slurs, we would see this in a very different light. one of my interests in researching this case was actually looking up Bremerton School District and seeing that on Google, there were just, it was a flood of one-star reviews of the district left by internet right-wing trolls, presumably, who were saying things like, this is a free country for Christians. Um, Anyone who does not share our Christian values should have a one-way ticket to the Middle East. And so when there are comments like that surrounding the case, I feel like race is brought more to the center Um, in a way that doesn't, it's not immediately apparent, right, when we're talking about the right to prayer. But as soon as you see the discourse around it, the question of race, and even this discussion we're seeing right now around critical race theory um, by the right, I I think that these things become very entangled. And I'm not sure if either of you would have any interest in discussing this, but I'd love to hear your perspective about how you think race relates to this case.
3: Well, I'll just say this. Who is this country for? This country should be for all of us. And the best the way that we can look at our constitutional tradition is that it, we have the opportunity to live up to that vision and that we are not divided by race and by um you know ethnicity by by and specifically as we're talking about today, you know religion. And it is you know horrible, disheartening when people um don't see that, ignore that, um, and, and get lost in this passion of, I don't know, perceived persecution or loss of power or whatever's going on with them, um, to, to yearn for, for this, you know, Christian nation kind of idea that really is so, um, counter to our religious freedom ideals that we, uh, have lived, that we are living into and, and, um, and must, you know, must work to maintain
0: well this has been wonderful i wanted to thank you both again so much yeah
1: thank you very much thank you
0: yeah this has been great are there any closing thoughts that you would like to share
2: thank you for the invitation yes, thank you good, good luck going to make thank us you. all rich and famous <laughs> <laughs> yep. bye bye
0: that was our discussion on kennedy V. bremerton school district with ira chip lupu and holly holman
1: thanks again to chip and holly for speaking with us
0: Interactions is a podcast on law and religion brought to you by Canby Forum and distributed by the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University.
1: You can follow Canby Forum on Twitter or Facebook and subscribe to Interactions on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Thank you for listening.